Welcome again. This is Reverend John Ferret, and you're in part two of session four on the archaeology of Passover. And I wanted to do something here before we get into the rest of the lesson that uh, I didn't probably clarify in the first session. In the first session, I talked about the fact that the Pharisees, they started the Omer count on the day after the first day of unleavened bread. Because they considered the first day of the feast of unleavened bread and the seventh day, they considered them Sabbaths. And that's come down to us even today because there are many religious Jewish people today that still say it's a Sabbath, but it isn't. The Torah does not say it. And again, in session one, it's likely the Pharisees were saying, well, if we treat it as a Sabbath, we will not dishonor the feast or we will not practice the feast in vain. Let's take a look at Leviticus 23, verse 9, or starting in verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits, or the omer in Hebrew, the omer of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf, or the omer, before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. Now it says the Sabbath. And so for the Pharisees, as I mentioned, they said, well, we consider the feast, the first day of unleavened bread, a Sabbath, and the seventh day, and Shavuot, and Rosh Hashanah, and so on. So here's an example. Um, based upon the biblical calendar, suppose the first day of unleavened bread, Nisan 15, is a Wednesday. So again, for the Pharisees, that's a Sabbath. So that means on Thursday, based upon the, the view of the Pharisees, that would be the Feast of Bikurim on a Thursday. And so they would count, start counting on Thursday. That would be day one, counting down to the Feast of Pentecost, counting down to the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. They would count seven weeks because they're not going to count seven Sabbath weeks because they've got these extra days in there. Now, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, it does say seven weeks. It does not say seven Sabbaths. So it could very well be that the Septuagint was used by the Pharisees to justify their position. So if they started counting, for instance, on a Thursday, they would end counting 49 days take a look at it, it'd be seven weeks, it would end on a Wednesday, and therefore that Thursday, seven weeks later, would be Pentecost. Pentecost would be on a Thursday. Or the 50th day would be Pentecost. So that's where they come up with it. But if it's 30 AD, and the feast of the first day of unleavened bread is on a Friday, from the Pharisees' point of view, you have a Sabbath on a Friday and a Sabbath on a Saturday, and the weekly Sabbath was bigger, much more important, and took precedence over everything. So from the Pharisees' point of view, it very could it, it varies likely that therefore they would say, well, 
since we have two Sabbaths, we will wait until Sunday to start the count. So in 30 AD, all of a sudden their view and the Sadducees' view, because the Sadducees said, no, we're going to take a look at the Bible just as it is. And we're going to start our count on Sunday, the day after the Torah Sabbath, not the Sabbath of the Pharisees. So for the Sadducees and the Pharisees in 30 AD, it seems as if, and I have to underline that, it seems as if, because we can still have a lot of debate and a lot of discussion and a lot of difference in terms of the way we view this. But it seems to me that the 30 AD and basically really studying the Torah for what it says and not what men say. I, I bless the Pharisees. Many of them were deeply religious people, but the thing is they made up their own rules and their own rules are not in the Torah. But anyway, the 30 AD, they probably both would start coning on that Sunday. So we're uh, ready to start uh, session two. And again, in session two, we'll be taking a look at uh, another amazing discovery from Egyptian archaeology, which will help us understand the Last Supper in greater detail, but we'll also ask, be dealing with the question, did Jesus do a Seder? Now, for some, they take the verses in the Bible in the New Testament, and we're going to be dealing with four of them. And they would say, based upon what we read in English, it is clear that Jesus did a Seder, or not a Seder, but the Passover meal of Israel. There are others who say that Jesus would have been crucified on the Feast of Unleavened Bread and not on Passover because they're reading the Bible in English. Based upon the translator's choice of the meaning of a word, a key word in Greek, and translated into English has led to much confusion, and we see the New Testament, and you'll see this, disagrees with the Word of God in Leviticus 23. We're going to take a look and go deeper into the Greek, and we're going to see some amazing things that our translators could have, could have picked the meaning of a precise word that had an alternate meaning, and it's actually used in the New Testament. Our translators actually use the alternate meaning in other verses. Why didn't they use it here? It would have cleared up everything. So we're going to take a look at that. It's amazing. So hang on. This session is amazing only because God is amazing. And the Passover, the Passover of the Messiah and the Passover of Israel, amazing events, reflections of each other, two different purposes. There's another amazing discovery in Egyptian archaeology that we need to take a look at that's related to the Passover meal of the Messiah, the Last Supper. When you study 
the ancient Egyptian culture. Archaeology shows us that the Egyptians understood the leavening process. Matter of fact, they used the leavening process and they were the first ones to invent beer because yeast is used in making beer. And most scholars agree that they were the first ones to make leavened bread. The rest of the world did not make leavened bread. They ate flat bread, bread without leaven. The Egyptian god Osiris is associated with bread, and he, Osiris, is said to supply the bread of life. Matter of fact, in Egyptian mythology, it talks about the fact that Osiris rises from the dead as bread, as the bread of life. Now remember, I talked about the fact that the Hebrews assimilated into the Egyptian culture. So they knew this. Osiris probably was one of their gods for either many of the Hebrews or most of them. And at the first Passover, God commanded no leaven in the bread. No leaven for one week. This was common food in the bread of life if you live in Egypt. It's as if God is saying at the Passover meal of Israel, turn from the bread of the Egyptians. Turn from your view that the Egyptian gods give bread. Turn from the god Osiris. It's as if Yahweh wants Israel to totally separate from Egypt, its economy, its riches, its power, its security, and all of its gods. It's like a picture for the Hebrews. So the Passover lamb is associated to Amun-Ra. And leavened bread is associated with Osiris. It's as if God is telling his people, turn from the gods of Egypt. In Exodus 12, verse 12, we read, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Yahweh is coming against all the gods of Egypt. And the first Passover, in the Passover meal of Israel, they are to eat unleavened bread. They are not to eat the bread of Osiris. Now God further instructs Israel about that first Passover meal. He gives them further instruction about the unleavened bread. We're going to go to Exodus 13, verses 7 through 9. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders. So in Egypt, leaven was common because bread was the staple of life, and so leavened bread was common throughout their borders. And now here's Israel. No, no leaven at all for these seven days. It's not God is condemning leavened bread. We all eat leavened bread. That's not the issue. But it's the picture of Egypt. It's the picture that that food, that bread in Egypt was considered the bread of the gods. You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and a reminder on your forehead. A reminder. What? The unleavened bread. 
that the Torah of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. God's word is a picture of the unleavened bread. And when you're taking that bread, it's like taking the bread, the word of God in your mouth. We also remember in Deuteronomy 8.3, God said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So now the word of God can be associated to the bread of life by immersing ourselves in God's word we live it is the true bread of life the very words of God what a picture those Hebrews the first Passover of Israel there's no leaven don't eat the bread of Egypt eat his Torah eat the written word of God and then what did Jesus do it's the Passover meal of the Messiah. He took bread. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, eat this bread. It's my body. Just as they would do this in the Passover meal of Israel, so Jesus took bread at the Passover meal of the Messiah. And he said, in this meal, in this bread, it represents my body. Passover meal, for Israel, they eat the written word. In the Passover meal of Yeshua, we eat the living word. The Lord is making a distinction. Moses, the Passover of Israel, the lamb, or the ram, and the unleavened bread. A major event, a critical event. It stands on its own. It is not created as some sort of allegory for Jesus so that you can dismiss the Passover. Oh, absolutely not. It's a major event. It shows us God's grace. It shows us God's power. The power over the most powerful empire on the face of the earth in the 18th dynasty of Egypt. Showing us his power over this powerful king Pharaoh and his army. It shows God's grace, his mercy, but God also has a final redemption for Jew and Gentile, for all people that would come to choose as Messiah. It's almost as if God is teaching to understand the ultimate redemption through Jesus. You need to understand the first redemption. Exodus is awesome. It's unique. It's distinct. It stands on its own. There is so much we can learn from the Exodus and about our God. So many things that we can say we can trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God. But the Passover Messiah is also unique and distinct. It stands on its own. Yahweh uses it to say that the former is to help us understand the latter. The Passover of Israel is to help us understand the Passover of Messiah. And all of a sudden we say, wow, <laughs> the Torah, the events of Exodus and the Passover... Feast of Unleavened Bread, they testify of Jesus, just like Jesus said in John 5.39. Jesus said in John 5.39, he's teaching the Sadducees, the scribes, the chief priests, they're all there in the temple courts. And he said, all scripture testifies of me. He says that between 24 to 30 AD, the only thing they had was the Old Testament. And now we can see how the events of Exodus and Passover testify of Jesus, just like he said. But there's a distinction 
a clear distinction. Finally, we come to the fact that the Passover meal of Israel and the Passover meal of Messiah are also distinct and separate and not the same. First, hang on, the Last Supper was not a Jewish Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word. It is definitely related to the Passover meal of Israel. It's only found in rabbinic writings after 70 AD. Seder means order uh, in the Talmud, which is finally completed about 500 BC. It often refers to the order of the Passover meal in a home after the temple was destroyed. This was the big issue after 70 AD. They had no temple. And now here, with no temple, they could not sacrifice the lambs because God said in his Torah it could only be done in Jerusalem with the temple. And that the rabbis wanted to continue, wanted the people to continue to do the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And now they were trying to establish the practices in a home anywhere in the world. Another word that comes up is the Haggadah. The Haggadah is the booklet that actually has the order of the Passover meal or the Passover Seder. The word Seder and Haggadah are missing from all literature prior to 70 AD, all Jewish literature prior to 70 AD. The word Seder and Haggadah do not exist. There's the papyrus from Elephantine Island. And the papyrus of Elephantine Island in Egypt, dated to 449 BC, talks about the Passover. The Hebrews who actually lived on Elephantine Island, I've been there. I've seen possibly where they actually lived. And their papyrus actually talks about the Passover meal, but nothing about a Seder or a Haggadah. The Book of Jubilees in the 2nd century BC, again, a lot of information there about the Passover. But no Seder, no Haggadah. The great Jewish philosopher in Jesus' day named Philo, in his writings, he talks about the Passover, talks about the Passover lamb, talks about the sacrifice, with no mention of a Seder and no mention of a Haggadah, and Josephus as well. So the temple's destroyed in 70 AD. Now it's likely that many of the elements that are in a Jewish Seder were practiced in Jesus' day. Not all of them. We can't determine the whole list, but there could be many of them. But in Jesus' day, it wasn't called a Seder. So based upon Bible history, the Jewish people didn't even do a Seder in Jesus' day. They didn't even use a Haggadah. They had the Passover meal of Israel. Now, continuing with this, there is also some interesting verses we need to take a look at because there's an alternative view to a number of the verses that are in the New Testament that help us understand when Passover meal of the Messiah occurred, when the Last Supper occurred. Let's consider them. Matthew 26, verse 17. We read, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? All right. The Greek word there is protos. The uh, Strong's number is G4413. It can mean first. This verse actually is used by many 
to say that Jesus actually did a Passover Seder. Because they say it's the first day of unleavened bread. And since it's the first day of unleavened bread, on the first day of unleavened bread, this is when the people or the, the Jewish people actually do the Passover meal of Israel, which we call a Seder today. So we use to justify. But there's something interesting here. Protos has another meaning. It can mean before. And translators did not consider this real alternative. This is amazing because the word protos, G4413, which here the translator said means first, and a number of other verses, like John 1.15, we read, John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. The Greek word there is protos. John chapter 1, verse 30. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John 15, 18, we read, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Before it hated you. Not first, but before. And in Acts 7.40, the same thing. You can look that up. So, an alternative way of reading Matthew 26.17 is, and before the day of unleavened bread. The day before unleavened bread is Nisan 14. Nisan 14 is the day the lambs are slaughtered. This is an alternative reading. And in this alternate reading of Matthew 26.17, it is suggesting that Jesus had his Passover meal before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That is another meaning of the word protos. I'm going to go to Mark 14, 12. We read, On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed. Now, this is important. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed. Stop. It says the first day of unleavened bread. The word protos is used, used there again. But the problem is, if the translators use it as meaning first. It contradicts Jewish culture and it contradicts the Old Testament because the Passover lamb is not killed on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was killed on the day before. So in Mark 14, 12, it should say on the day before Unleavened Bread when the Passover lamb was being slain. Knowing Jewish culture, knowing the writings of Josephus and Philo, Knowing the rabbinic sources shows that the translators may not have used the most applicable meaning because our Christian translators have used the word first and not before and thus contradict God's Torah. What's in Leviticus 23? But once again, by using the meaning before rather than first, his, the Passover meal of Messiah was not a Passover meal of Israel. It could not have been because it was the day before. And in Matthew 4, Mark 14, 12, that's clear. You've got to use the word before. So that indeed the first, of, the first day of unleavened bread is not the day that the lambs are sacrificed. Now in Luke 22, we're going to read two verses. Highly instructive. Now this, this is interesting. 
Luke 22, verse 1. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And then we're going to go to verse 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. And again, first day, protos again. The day before the unleavened bread is when the Passover lambs were slain. However, excellent scholars like Craig Keener, in his InterVarsity Press New Testament commentary, this guy is just brilliant, and other scholars show, and Luke is demonstrating it quite clearly, that the Jewish people in Jesus' day would use the phrase unleavened bread and Passover interchangeably. So when they said Passover, they also would include the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If they said unleavened bread, they also include Passover because they use those words interchangeably. Now, since it was the day before, Jesus did not have the Passover meal of Israel. He did not have a Jewish Seder. The Passover meal, by God's command, the very words of God, must be done on Nisan 15 and not on Nisan 14. Nisan 14 is the day that the lamb is going, the lambs are going to be slaughtered. And on Nisan 15, after sundown, after the lambs are slain and then sundown happens, that's when they have the Passover meal of Israel. Now, lastly, let's consider John 13, verses 27 through 29. After the morsel sail, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things we need for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. This agrees with everything we just read. If Jesus was having a Passover, let's call it a Seder, since we're so used to that word. If it was the Seder, then why did some of the disciples who were there think that Jesus was, Jesus, Judas was going out to buy supplies for the feast when in fact they were doing the feast? It doesn't make sense. But with regards to the real alternative meaning of the word protos as before, if we actually use that in the verses in Matthew 26, in Mark 14, and in Luke, it makes everything fit together well. It also agrees with God's word in the Old Testament. Jesus even said he's not going to come against Torah. He would fulfill it. And that means, if Jesus is going to fulfill the Torah, he's basically saying, watch me and see how I live the Torah. He would not even change the smallest letter or the smallest mark. If Jesus was not going to change the smallest mark, the Last Supper could not be the Passover meal of Israel because it happened on the wrong night. So what was it? Once again, Yahweh the Lord, Adonai, is making a clear distinction. He is making a clear separation between the Passover lamb and the lamb of God. He's making a clear distinction between the wooden doorposts and the wooden cross. 
He's making a clear distinction between the mountain of God at Sinai. You can read about that in Exodus 3.1, Exodus 4.27, Exodus 24.13, the mountain of God at Sinai, and the distinction of the mountain of God in Jerusalem. The mountain of God in Jerusalem in Isaiah 2.3, the mountain of God in Jerusalem in Micah 4, verses 1 through 3. God is making a clear distinction between the new covenant, a new covenant at Sinai. The Hebrews never even experienced such a covenant. It was brand new at Sinai. And they became a new nation and a new people, a new nation of priests. But then there's a new covenant at the mountain of God in Jerusalem where we became a new nation, a new people, a nation of priests. God seems to be saying to understand the latter, the Passover of Messiah. We need to understand the former, the Passover of Israel. To understand the ultimate Redeemer, Messiah, we need to understand the first Redeemer, Moses. To understand the Passover meal of the Lamb of God, we need to understand the Passover meal of Israel. It seems as if the Last Supper and what occurred, that the foundation of what Jesus was doing at that meal its foundation was the Seder, was the Passover meal of Israel. Jesus may have actually used key components of the Passover meal of Israel, which would happen the next evening, in his Passover meal of the Messiah that we call the Last Supper. Matter of fact, it seems to me, and it's my strong opinion, that he did that the Passover meal of the Messiah that we call the Last Supper was very Seder-like. Remember, the Seder was not used in Jesus' day, and the, what he did and what the Jewish people did the next night was not what happens today, but using that word because we're so familiar with it. I really believe that his meal was very much like it. Thus, it is quite possible the Last Supper was like a Passover meal. But it had a different purpose. It had a different meaning. Back in Egypt, the people chose the ram representing Amun-Ra and killed the ram. And they chose Yahweh. They chose the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God passed over their homes and they were redeemed by God's grace and delivered from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. That was Egypt. But in Jerusalem, the father chose his ram his son, the Lamb of God. And the Ram of God, who was Jesus, the real God, not the false gods and fake gods of Egypt, he was killed. And so we're redeemed. We're redeemed by God's grace, not from the bondage of slavery, but from the bondage of sin. There is a clear distinction. The Passover meal of Israel, remember God's redemption of Israel from bondage of slavery. The Passover meal of the Messiah, remember God's redemption for all, for all people, Jew and Gentile, from the bondage of sin. For Robin and I, we have been involved in studying the Jewish roots of our faith and Bible history for many years. For a long time, I would say that Jesus did a Jewish Seder, and now I realize that there was something much bigger going on and different. And so for my wife and I, we do the Passover meal of the Messiah 
on the evening of Nisan 14. And we also do the Passover meal of Israel on the evening of Nisan 15. We do two meals because there were two lambs. There's the wooden doorpost and the wooden cross, the mountain of God at Sinai, the mountain of God in Jerusalem, over and over and over again. It's my sense that as disciples, disciples of Adonai Yeshua, that we want to be like him. If you're a disciple, you want to be like your rabbi. We want to do things the way he did. Now, it's interesting because Jesus was Jewish. And so when we look at this, for me, I can't help but to say, but the Passover is huge. And so we do two meals, the Passover meal of Messiah and the Passover meal of Israel. Distinct and different, but reflecting each other. God said to Israel, why are you going to do this? Why are you going to do a Passover meal of Israel? You will do this to remember what I've done. And what did Jesus say during the Last Supper? Do this in remembrance of me. Shalom. So I wanted to thank you for going through all four sessions of the archaeology of Passover. And I wanted to express my views in the sense that when I teach, I'm trying to teach not my own opinion. I did express my opinion here at the end of part two, session four. And my view was, my opinion is that the Last Supper, the Passover meal of the Messiah, was very, very much like the Passover meal of the Jewish people that would have happened the next night. But that's my opinion. So I wanted to use real Greek. I wanted to use real Bible verses. I wanted to use real history and real culture. But I also know that it could be many of you or others will indeed have points of disagreement with this view. And that's okay. There is still so much that we need to discover. Still so much we need to research and study. My attempt is to offer an alternative view based on real history, real scholarship. An alternative view that really makes sense and takes the Bible and unifies it. So, for instance, we talked about Mark chapter 14. And in Mark chapter 14, it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Well, that can't happen. That contradicts Leviticus 23, when God said, actually, in Exodus 12, when God said, You will take the lamb that you picked on Nisan 10, you will slaughter it on Nisan 14, and after sundown, which is Nisan 15, that's when you'll have your Passover meal. But when we actually take a look at the real alternative way that word protos could be used in Matthew 26 or in Mark or Luke, we find that everything is unified. Everything makes sense. 
Second of all, I wanted to bring up, if Matthew 26, 17 is the way we should read it, where it says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? If Jesus had his Passover meal on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if it's 33 AD, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus died on a Saturday. Nisan 14 and 33 AD was on a Friday. And so all of a sudden we have statements like this that really contradict many of the traditions in the church. Now, another thing is, if it's 33 AD and Jesus actually ate his Passover meal on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in other words, he had a Jewish Seder, and I'm contending that it was 30 AD, but if this Bible verse, Matthew 26, 17, is valid, then Jesus died on a Friday, and we're once again back to the issue that Jesus said that he would be three days and three nights in the ground. And that's a contradiction. It contradicts Jesus. It contradicts the very words of God. So I hope this has been interesting. I hope it has been thought-provoking, challenging, for me, I am so excited about Passover. I'm so excited about doing both meals, the Passover meal of Messiah on the evening of Nisan 14, and also doing the Passover meal of Israel on the evening of Nisan 15. You cannot have one without the other. The reflections of each other. In the not-too-distant future, we'll be having a series, probably one or two sessions, on the archaeology of Shavuot, the archaeology of Pentecost. Because, ladies and gentlemen, as we saw, God connected. God connected the cross and the resurrection. He connected the resurrection to the Feast of Bikurim. And the people, the Jewish people, count seven full Sabbaths, 49 days, until the 50th day Pentecost. And now God is connecting his resurrection with Pentecost. And we and the church have missed it completely. This is a time of great celebration and joy. A time where we should eat the written word of God as the bread of life. To delight ourselves in the true bread of life, the living word in Yeshua. So I wish you... Happy Passover. Looking forward to the day of Shavuot, the beginning of the end. Shalom. Shalom.